Hello and welcome to the Hammer and Tulip podcast. Uh, this is our second episode back after a little break. And on today's episode, we've got a really interesting discussion. We're going to be talking about theological triage. Which Christian doctrines should we be dividing over? What are the theological issues which are hills to die on and which are ones that should not be breaking Christian fellowship. Uh, this is a great discussion to be having at uh, this time. There, there just seems to be so much discussion, debate, scrapping even going on all over social media between Christians. The, the fight just seems to come on so many angles and so many doctrines and teachings are sort of up for debate in this time. And I think it's a great timely discussion to be having, Gareth. So, um, yeah, definitely. And then, I mean, I was just thinking recently how, like, I don't think we've ever lived in a time where people are so divided. At least that's how it feels from my point of view. And there, there does seem to be a lot of uh, kind of just sort of anger and division. And, and so this is really an opportunity to say, well, actually, let's talk about this very much more objectively how do we decide what things we agree on and don't agree on and and does it really matter and and if it does matter why is that yeah a hundred percent yeah i think um definitely like that social media just for me is the is the kind of the hot button um for all of this stuff and uh sort of it depends where you kind of sit theologically on how aware of all this you're going to be um yeah I, i think anyway so you know theologically if you are sitting in the kind of reformed camp you're likely going to be really aware hyper aware of all of this stuff where you just see you know the fight coming to christianity on so many different levels you you're probably engaging in online debates uh, with people discussing you know prosperity gospel uh, human sexuality justification you, you're probably very aware of this however if you're further out on the spectrum perhaps you're kind of more in the charismatic church um you know that world having been in it and being still in it in some in some senses absolutely i'm charismatic but if you're just in that bubble and it it can be a real bubble you probably aren't so much aware of a a debate you'll just be feeling kind of attacked (laughs) so yeah Yeah. like that's how why is it all kicking off (laughs) yeah why is there all these grenades and smoke going on around me why is this all so difficult who are these demons uh, attacking everything online yeah who are these people with operating in a political spirit just coming against what god's doing that's probably how you'll be seeing it um you know not to try to be too patronizing but you know that does seem to be the general take uh, but it does for me i think it yeah it, it's it's it is something that's happening um and you do see this play out a lot where we're seeing christians kind of you know dividing over yeah. a lot of different things at the moment we've we've obviously in the recent years we've had huge debates in-house debates between uh, Christians over human sexuality, um, same-sex marriage. We've seen even more recently uh, huge schisms on the subject of 
kind of race you know and 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 in particular more kind of critical race theory which is something we haven't got around to discussing yet no. but but a really big issue um that seemed to have kind of you know made christians think well you know is this something that we ought to be dividing over and some have even you know gone as far as to do that um so there's all sorts of things that seem to be hot button issues right now. Oh, there's a lot of, and um, <laughs> you know, and so I think it's it's a really important discussion to be having where we're saying, okay, well, which of these issues really should be something that we should be giving our time to and debating seriously and which are things that kind of we can agree to disagree on you know because yeah. i think that's really important i think it's really clear throughout scripture that god wants to have unity amongst his people you know it's one of the things that jesus prays for in john 17 in his high priestly prayer isn't it he says you know i do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me that's that's you and yeah. me and all of our listeners i pray for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one you know so this yeah. is clearly something that jesus wants he wants for us to be united and i feel this on my heart so much i feel so um cut by this in many ways because i desperately want unity uh, i i want to be uh in a church that's united around the gospel i want to be in a church oh, yeah. that you know really is walking together hand in hand wanting to see um you know the gospel preach wanting to see people saved um and I'm so grieved um, that, you know, very often we're not seeing that happen. And uh, as somebody personally who's had experience of, of, of these kinds of discussions, you know, I, I long to see a church that's united. But, I, you know, if we are going to have divisions, if we are going to have to sort of separate from one another, then let it be around issues that really are the big ones. You know, let it be yeah, around, absolutely. you know, huge sort of heresy or orthodoxy debates let's not we, we don't want to be breaking fellowship over things that just aren't that important right no, so not at all. It, you know it's really important to try and pick those out and and so you mentioned well we, we've called the, the session theological triage it's a term that i've heard thrown around a fair bit and and I, i'm just keen to know like what what is theological triage well, it's helpful to think to start with think about the word triage and what it means. It's actually French and it means to sort and organize. And right. actually the, the most common usage of this word, in fact you'll find it defined in the dictionary this way and, and the way that it's really understood is actually in a in a medical situation, like in a medical emergency room in casualty. Mm. And you just kind of imagine for a moment an an emergency room full of patients, which by the way, I've been in A and E a few times. It's nearly always men in there. I don't know if you ever noticed this. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's like clumsy, accident-prone men in there, of which I was one of them, which is why I was in there. Um, and you're kind of looking around and you see, you know, oh, there's a guy in one rugby kit and there's a guy in another rugby kit. I think I can guess what happened there. You know? yeah. <laughs> so you're there in this emergency room and and it's, imagine you just got a full emergency room and the medics are all in there and they're looking at all these people and they're thinking, oh, crumbs, we're going to have to... Um, you know, we're going to have to sort through all this. So yeah. they're basically going to look at it into you know, like sort of three groups. They're going to go critical, right? Him, him and her, right? We need to see them immediately. Then every, that group, actually, it's quite serious, but it's not too bad. We'll see them next. And then it's kind of like, well, that was a stupid thing to do, wasn't it? You'll have to wait for a long time. <laughs> you know, the, the, re the re leftovers, you know, whatever. So it really is actually 
working out what's really important, what really matters, the next tier down, and then the tier off that. So it's basically we're talking like three kind of levels. And so theological triage is really... We, we, you know, a lot of different doctrines and teachings and p- people saying things, or whatever. And we think, okay, we've got all of these uh, different teachings, doctrines, uh, things that people are talking about from the Bible and, and, and their beliefs. Uh, what are we going to do with them? And people are saying this really matters, that really matters. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. And right, let's just mm. methodically put these into a kind of a pyramid. Which is the most important? Which is absolutely critical? Yeah. And so that's really what we're doing. And then we're saying, well, actually, that level down, yeah, that's important. But actually, we shouldn't, you know, really be kind of, you know, this doesn't divide us in the sense of being Christians. And then, you know, the next level is kind of, oh, come on, really? Here's a stepladder to get over <laughs> yourself. You know, it's not that important. Do you know what I mean? It's, that I know what you mean. So basically, it's a, it's a kind of prioritization. Would you yeah, say? Yeah, absolutely. That's a neat way of putting it. Yeah, a prioritization. What really matters? So, like, yeah, basically, like in a hospital setting, it's so that the person with a grazed knee isn't being prioritized the same as somebody with a gunshot wound. I think it was Al Mola no. who put it that way. Like, that's right. Yeah. So prioritization, um, and um, you know, at, at risk of offending people. Let's be honest. From the outset. Um, would you say it's fair to say that like as we move through the prioritization of these doctrines would you say like we're all going to be agreed on these or will is there room for kind of disagreement over how important we might categorize a doctrine or not like do you know what i mean like how we how, how do we actually prioritize them because i know people that would say that you know eschatology is is like super important and yeah you know maybe others who would say no it's it's not a big deal so like how do we how do we sort them out like how do we actually do prioritization because i guess like in a medical setting there are you know that there are kind of rules aren't there like if somebody's not breathing then they're immediately going to go to the top whereas you know in theological settings it's sometimes it's harder to see how we're actually going to rank these doctrines in order of prioritization because aren't all doctrines important you know doesn't all truth matter so that's a very good point you raised there because absolutely it all matters and it's all important um i think we're talking kind of sort of like the the level in which it's important but it's all important it's like a secondary issue is it's not irrelevant it doesn't matter it absolutely does it is important and that's why as we're going to see you know it does divide people on one level Mm. but i think that the main thing is is scripture and also wisdom so for example let's just say we've got some people arguing about eschatology my question is can i just stop you there mm. and ask you a simple question do you believe that jesus christ is coming back physically and victoriously well yeah, yeah obviously well and then in fairness you believe that christ will return as he himself promised mm. how and when that happens by definition is not actually that important mm. it's not that we we're not to be ready and the question is, again, are you prepared for Christ's return? And an amillennialist will go, well, yeah, it could come at any point. A premillennialist will go, well, look at the state of the world now and whatever. And we're going to say, well, in your own way, you are concerned about these things. Yeah. But you're interpreting scripture differently. Um, but, to, to, you know, and I, and there, are, there are brilliant minds that could spend 40 or 50 years studying eschatology and come to completely opposite views and write massive commentaries on it. Yeah. And this is the truth of the matter. No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're not sort of uh, new to this, are we, in the 21st century? Oh, not at all. This has been happening right throughout church history, that there have been, 
you know, obviously we have the church creeds, don't we? Um, and they've come out of this sort of decision-making process, haven't they? So it kind of, I mean, you, you could probably explain better than I can, but these creeds have come out of seasons where there's been a particular attack on yeah. a, an area of truth, maybe. Um, and the creed has kind of been a response to that attack. So, uh, you know, I, 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 is, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think really the thing about creeds is that the, the sort of um, the creeds, you know, the things that we will, you know, like the Nicene or the Apostles' Creed, we will stand up in church and we will say, this is what we believe. And in the church denomination I'm in, in the Church of England, we will, in communion services, we will stand up and we will say the Nicene Creed, like this mm. is what we believe or the Apostles' Creed or whatever. Yeah. But this is where you start to notice a bit of a disconnect because actually we also in the Church of England, we have the 39 Articles of Religion. That is our reformed document about what we believe about our doctrines. Yeah. So, and this is such an important, and do you know, what? I, was, I made a comment on, a, on a, uh, an evangelical Anglican uh, Facebook post recently and someone very, very insightfully, because I said about this saying, arguing about, you know, what, you know, someone would put a, a post up about someone saying that the Church of England is more liberal than evangelical and I said well actually no it's evangelical it actually is rooted in the 39 articles and one man commented and said yeah but how many ordinands today have you ever even heard of the 39 articles let alone read them <laughs> yeah. and, and this is the sad reality that we're not actually you know and, and it's not their fault these ordinands many of them they're not being actually DDOs or director of ordinance are not saying look I want you to study the 39 articles and read them and tell me do you believe this because mm. like in the Presbyterian church you'd need to read the Westminster Conf um, Confession of Faith and say well yeah. actually yeah, I believe this yeah and so why are we not church. saying yeah why, why are we not saying 1689 yeah 1689 Baptist Confession do you believe this oh yeah. well yeah well, that, well you're good to go but in the Church of England there isn't that rigour of you know this is actually what we believe and we stand on because it's a broad church so mm. you know this is the problem so there is that element of but that aside the point is that we have our uh, the, our confessions because these are the way that we and if as Paul Washer famously said a lot of young Christians if you just pick up the creeds and the confessions and you read them you will find in those the answers to many of the questions that you've been asking and wondering about yeah just explained in bullet points it's so true yeah i mean um i think there is something so powerful about you know reading these historic creeds out together as a church it it's a practice that we do in our church um and it's funny because outside of the Anglican tradition, it isn't. It's not common um, to hear these these confessions read, but it's benefited us. Um, it's strengthened us in what we believe. It's raised questions um, from the congregation about certain things, and it's clarified things. I think you know, for us, one of the, one of our favourites is the Heidelberg. Uh, yeah, that's a beautiful the Heidelberg. Nice. Yeah, catechism and because it does it literally answers questions that you're going to have as a christian um we read one last week about the responsibility that we all have when hearing the word of god preached and it's just brilliant it's fantastic it's so practical and uh so yeah i th i think it's so so key to have a reasonably well-formed understanding of what the christian faith is you know what does it what does it consist of what are the main sort of parts to a christian worldview um 
what, what does a Christian believe, you know? And knowing that is so key, it's so important and uh, prevents us, I think, from all kinds of unholy unions with yeah. <laughs> cults, effectively. You know, the, the Christian historic creeds are the kind of dividing line between Christianity and cults. And, yeah. um, you know, it is, I th- you know, to get on my soapbox for a minute I, th- I think this is one of the key issues in in church today is that so many particularly in um what well, in in all denominations seem to be very uh sort of unaware of the components of a christian worldview or what we what what the church has believed historically um that yeah there, there's there's kind of confusion and yeah b- uh, yeah misunderstanding about things like the reformation like you you know i know people that look at the reformation and are horrified by it and and are embarrassed by it as as christians even as pastors in in a protestant tradition who are embarrassed about the reformation because they don't understand why it had to happen and essentially to kind of boil down their view in a really you know in a kind of really unfair way it's kind of saying who were these miserable men back in the 16th century that that had to make such a fuss about this you know couldn't they have just gotten along and um you know we could have all been friends you know and they basically just want to kiss and make up and and uh you know don't understand why these men would often go to their deaths for these things but they were important weren't they and they were. um they were luther at the diet of worms and that he could have died at that easily could have been yeah. put to death yeah he stood there and and you can only imagine i mean nowadays you think about it we're more scared about offending people or at worst losing our jobs or yeah. something yeah and that's and it yet, this is it we've we're soft we are so soft now <laughs> these are these are men who like luther was like i might actually you know get hung for this you know yeah and and he's willing to stand there and and contend with with all with all of the the council at that point and we see this time and time again or you know you go into oxford as as, as we both lived there for a time and yeah that martyrs memorial yeah yeah cramner yeah. latimer and ridley they were willing to contend with the catholic church that's right but the pope is not the head of the church christ is that's right and they paid yeah. for it with their lives exactly that's and the truth of the matter isn't it who would really who'd be willing to do that these days you know you, you, there, there aren't many that is the question yeah and i think this is what we're trying to sort of talk about in a roundabout way is that on one hand as i quoted earlier christ wants for us to have unity and we should be taking that way more seriously than we are like oh i agree with that we should be taking that so seriously like jesus wants his church to be united and i want to take that really personally actually um but on the other hand there's a real strong witness in scripture that we shouldn't be uniting ourselves with anything unholy you know um no you know the the johannine epistles uh, first second third john are really clear on this it's like don't even invite a false teacher into your house right no. if they come around for a cuppa don't let them in it's as severe as that like don't yeah. don't invite them in for a chat and be like hey you know agree to disagree love you uh, do you want to stay for church it's like don't let the guy in your house wow okay um so on one hand we're really encouraged to find unity and peace where we can find it on the other hand we're told there are such things as false teachers even false religions false versions of christianity and you're actually to have no fellowship with them well oh wow okay so where's the dividing line and that's the thing yeah. it's just finding that 
that path where we are seeking unity, but we're not dishonoring Christ by seeking to have unity with false religion or with essentially what John no. would call antichrist religions. Yeah. Um, so it is. that's what we're trying to talk about today is how do we determine the right kind of unity and we want to be having that. Uh, so what questions do we need to ask about how we do that? So theological triage, Gareth, uh, you've talked about, was it first, second, and third? And third. Yeah, we kind of put them into three tiers. Right. Okay, so first would be kind of first order doctrines would be the highest, most important ones. Yeah, so I mean, this is this is like what's really most central to the Christian faith. So okay. we're talking about, you know, the, the the Holy Trinity, the the divine nature of Christ. Well, can, know, I, can the, I can I just stop you there before you run through them? Because that sounded very partridge yeah, yeah. can, can I stop you there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you've said, you know, the, the divine nature of Christ. We're talking about Christology, um, things like that. Well, how do you determine that, though? Because there might be some Christians that say, well, you know, why should that be a first order doctrine? What makes it a first order doctrine? And what makes something else a third order doctrine? How are you making that distinction? I think the main distinction is like, particularly when we're studying doctrine, that's why we have systematic theologies, is that we're looking at that the doctrines are the main themes that run throughout scripture. Mm. So for example, the, you know, the, the, the triune God, we see you know, the God the Father, we see the Son and the Holy Spirit, that runs throughout scripture. And to give you an example, we believe that obviously that, that the, the triune God coexists eternally mm. and that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, was incarnate and came to earth. Now, this is where, for example, we'd see a, a heresy when, let's just say, a Jehovah's Witness comes along yeah. and says, well, we believe that you know, Christ is a son and he was created and you're able to turn to Scripture and mm. say, yes, but uh, that's wrong because uh, Colossians 1 says he is the image yeah. of the invisible God yeah and, and and we look at John chapter 1 which which talks about he was in God, was with God in the beginning creating all things yeah and Hebrews 1 the, 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 the exact impression of the radiance of God so it's important that we're able to say no it actually does matter that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity he's not a okay. created being I see and yeah. so we're, we're wanting to these things really matter for example the the divine nature of Christ that he's the son of God, that he pays for sin on the cross. Like, so the atonement, again, is absolutely crucial to Christian faith because mm. if you don't believe that Christ died on the cross as your substitute, then you're not really a bad person and you could get to heaven. Yeah. And really, God's just doing it to show you how much he loves you because you're so awesome and he'd, do, and he'd do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, and so these these doctrines actually matter because they they they're bringing us to the knowledge of God first, and then to of ourselves. So this is, and I've always considered this, and I think it's really important that ignorance is not innocence. Being ignorant of God is does not mean that you're innocent, and all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and and so we need a knowledge of God, who He is, and what's true about Him in order that we ourselves could then see ourselves in light of that truth and record and see what the Bible teaches about who God is and, and who we are and our great need for him. Mm. So it is really actually to, to look at what the scripture teaches about salvation issues. So really first okay. order is about 
knowing who God is, who I am, and my need for him, and really essentially everything that makes up the gospel narrative. Okay. So these basically first order doctrines or first order doctrines would be salvation issues or you know things that kind of make you a christian or don't so for example if if an individual wants to say well i'm i'm a christian um yeah i'm a christian i i believe in god the father uh, just like you and i believe in jesus uh, as a created son and i believe you know and so i'm a christian you could say well actually no because as a christian here's what you need to believe you need to believe that the son is co-eternal co-equal with the father just as the holy spirit is we believe in the trinity so you can't be saved by a non-divine christ effectively so these are kind of like no not at all these first order issues then of issues that basically divide a christian from a non-christian so if you don't assent you, you don't believe to these particular doctrines then we could say with some degree of certainty that you aren't actually a, a christian yeah i mean it's exactly as the apostle paul says in 1 corinthians 15 if you don't believe that in the resurrection that christ was raised from the dead then you're still dead in your sins yeah and essentially what you believe is a joke and isn't going to save you so these are these are heavy hitters these are serious um, yeah this absolutely matters uh, so you know the doctrine of the the trinity um yeah which would obviously then rule out fellowship with non-trinitarian yeah, so you're not, going, you're, not going to, you're not going to be getting involved with the Unitarians, for example. Yeah. Just to complete... Only, I mean, many Unitarians won't even believe in a meta, metaphysical as well. So yeah. it really is that believe a very odd set of beliefs. So it actually protects you from all kinds of weird cults in, in yeah, many ways. Yeah, and it was obviously Christology. So that being yeah. the, the dual nature of Christ uh, as, as truly man and truly God. That doctrine that would therefore wouldn't it? it that would prevent us from having sort of meaningful christian fellowship with jehovah's witnesses absolutely um, so yep. that, that, that's the dividing line there um so you, you mentioned the atonement as well so let's talk about that because there, there are some that would that would probably take issue with us on the atonement it's a big talking point um yeah, and so really what we're talking about with the the atonement would be issues like you know justified by faith alone is that the kind of discussion we're hitting on here like you know what did jesus pay for effectively yeah what right. did he do on the, what 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 is the work of christ so we agree on the person of christ that he's the son of god and many people would hold to that yeah he's the son of god absolutely yeah but then when it comes to the work of christ what did christ achieve on the cross yes yeah and then people will go well he just showed how much he loved us or yeah. he set us free from sin and death so it's, it's kind of it's exemplar and victor but actually yeah. substitute and this is the thing the gospel does achieve god does show his love yes, for us absolutely he does yeah. deliver us from sin and death but, and but the victor and, and exemplar is not the gospel without substitute mm. And you have to have substitute in there. I'm a sinner. I deserve judgment and hell. And Christ died in my place and paid for my sins on the cross. Yeah. And and it's a it's a hard thing for many people to accept. Yeah, the work of of Christ really and uh, yeah. his saving work. Um, yeah. And so yeah, this 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 would be a, a dividing line. I think. Um, 
in terms of perhaps having real meaningful Christian fellowship with people on on the far end of the liberal spectrum um, that don't believe uh, in the atoning sacrifice or don't believe that sins were paid for in the atonement. Yeah. Um, so okay, I, I'm a, I think as well what, what's um, what's clear is that these are gospel issues, aren't they? They're issues of salvation. Absolutely. Um, another discussion gospel centered gospel centered another another yeah. question would be obviously um with with the catholic church now um i i know uh, this might be controversial you disagree with me on this but i i know people that are in the catholic tradition that absolutely i believe are saved okay so i believe oh, absolutely i yeah, believe that held I, to that i know i know, I, I know a saved catholic guy right um he has accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He is he worships passionately. <laughs> he loves Jesus, yeah. and um, I, I can't say he's not a Christian. I can't say that. Um, but at the same time, there are doctrines that uh, are believed and enshrined in catechisms by his church that I I vehemently disagree with, yeah. and. Um, I think do violence to the scriptures on on the on the issue of the atonement, and particularly justification. Um, so where does that leave us? Because though we can affirm that there are people within the Catholic tradition that are Christians, are real Christians, they're saved. What kind of meaningful unity can we have then with the Catholic Church, knowing that their teaching on justification differs from what we think is presented in Scripture? That's a very good question. Actually, we, we already said we might do another podcast on ecumenicalism, so we can we can probably really unpack that more. But yeah. I, I'm glad you asked that because it is a really good question. And I know as many Christians who, and like I say, I, I was only talking to my, my parents the other evening, speaking to my mum the other evening. She was talking about a friend of hers in France who says that she knows some Catholics who absolutely definitely are Christians. They love yeah. the Lord. They're filled with the Spirit. They're, and so absolutely, I, I would completely agree with that but I think in terms of the teachings and the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church uh, it is a it is a, a church that does not teach justification by faith no not and at all. that's why we had a reformation it, and yeah I think I think one of the, the key problems is that there's there's a works that's added to the faith yeah it's justification always, by faith plus isn't it it's kind plus of works like there's an initial yes we're justified by faith alone yeah. but there's a but that comes after there's the but <laughs> and it's, that's the issue and I'd actually to quote Paul Washer was preaching at um, the last summer's G3 uh, conference in America quite a big conservative conference and one of the things he said was that if you add anything to the gospel anything however good it might be yeah and you just add one thing to the gospel you've immediately got the doctrine of demons <laughs> and that might sound harsh but and i know i know he's coming from though he's saying like if you if you're saying it's justification by faith in christ but there's a catch there yeah you need to do something on in your strength now straight away that adds a weight to me that i cannot bear i cannot win salvation on my own yeah 
I rest in the salvation that's been won on my behalf by Christ. Yeah. This is why in the in the Roman Catholic Church you have this kind of this striving where it explained very well actually in the first American Gospel movie where it's that kind of the man that's kind of like just yeah, yeah, falls yeah. down and he's just trying to get back up to get above the line again. Yeah. And so. when you sin, you kind of go into it, go into an overdraft, and it's kind of like oh, I've got to get out of this overdraft. I've got to do enough things to get out of this overdraft and get back onto a right footing. And in the Catholic scheme, well, how's that done? It's it's doing it's done through obedience to the sacraments or a beat you know kind of like you know confession mass um you know penance all these sorts of things that we do to get back up into the black out of the red and we can then continually throughout our lives commit sort of venial sins which we will need to um get worked on through the sacraments that's how that's how grace is ministered unto us and then mortal sins where we could actually commit a sin that would cause us to be outside of salvation outside of the the church the universal church and then we need to presumably get saved again so i think um there are big issues there and it's interesting because obviously on christology on the trinity we would agree with the catholics um they, they they would stand by the the nicene creed um that there are big things that we can agree on but um this issue of justification which is a first order issue um we believe it's 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 you know it it does it does then pose big questions about what kind of unity we can have if we disagree on the issue of justification and I would just say there's there's a you have recommended a book to me, Gareth. It's by it's Gavin Ortland. That's right. Yeah. Um, what's it called? Uh, it's finding the right hills to die on. That's yeah, a case for theological triage. It's published on Crossway. A really interesting book, and uh, one of the things that Gavin Ortland said about trying to identify what what these kind of first, second, third, he has a fourth as well, how to rank these doctrines. He he has three questions that he asks himself um, to try and rank them. The first is, is this doctrine well attested in Scripture? or words to that effect anyway you know is this a doctrine that we can see really clearly exhibited in the whole of scripture Uh, if it is if it's really well exhibited like the doctrine of the trinity now um you know muslims would 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 dispute obviously but um we believe it's well attested in scripture right through um then it's a strong case for being a first order doctrine if the position has been clearly held throughout church history um then that's another indicator that we're looking at a doctrine that's that's kind of uh indisputable and then thirdly is there a logical connection between this doctrine and the gospel um yeah so those three questions help us to establish um which doc which doctrines fall in first second and third you know doctrines that kind of we're you know we may feel a strong conviction on but but maybe um there's some disagreement throughout church history amongst really kind of prominent figures then then we we might say well we we wouldn't want to put that in the top category uh, because we wouldn't want to say that others in church history who have believed differently than us on that were not in fact christians we wouldn't want to say that um so you know equally um 
yeah if there's no logical connection with a gospel presentation as you said earlier talking about something like are you pre-mill a-mill post-mill well this is important okay this is an important discussion to have this is this is a good discussion to have but uh, does it impact on somebody in terms of their salvation right um is this a gospel issue when we preach to a non-believer is yeah. is eschatology something that they must subscribe to a particular uh, view of eschatology well well not really they need to believe jesus is coming back and that he's going to yeah. judge the living and the dead but beyond that uh, there's not really much that needs to be said so this helps us to kind of rank them i think and gavin, yeah, gavin Auckland's right there i think in trying to establish by asking those questions uh, which are uh, it feels awful ranking doctrines but i think this is the key isn't it because it's like we don't want to miss out on unity with no, brothers and sisters because we're scrapping over a doctrine that ultimately um is of a lesser order you know like uh, you know i think gavin ortland says we don't want to be losing out on fellowship over the question of how many angels are there you know no <laughs> which is tongue-in-cheek but you can see what what he's saying I think something that Al Mola says, which I think puts it really well, because it's, it's, it's hard to say these things without kind of sounding hardline and kind of yeah. divisive. But Al Mola kind of says it like this. He says, first order doctrines represent the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith. And a denial of these doctrines represents nothing less than an eventual denial of Christianity itself. And I think that's, that is our concern, really, is actually in love. We, we want to make sure that people believe what brings about salvation where that mm. they're wise for salvation and they confess that which leads to, to saving faith. Mm. And yeah. you, to be a Christian means you, you need to believe fundamental truths. And at the first order doctrines, if you if you deny them, that is to deny a saving uh, faith. And I think that's why it matters. And, and one of the key things which I think you know we might pick up at, you know later on or in a later po- podcast, but. The theological liberalism that we've already kind of touched on in the last uh, podcast, theological liberalism looks to undermine first order doctrine and dismiss it of being little importance. So on the one hand, you've got some people who think it matters whether you're a dispensationalist or not, which, or, you know, which is kind of absurd, but anyway, but there's things where people just met or people might just make a huge thing out of baptism, whatever. Yeah. But then, you know, and we'll say, oh, come on guys, seriously, you know, but then on the other hand, you've got the liberals where they'll kind of say, well, actually, it doesn't really matter what we believe about the incarnation of Christ. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to believe that he was raised bodily from the dead. You don't have to believe that he actually died on a cross because of your sins. You know, God's not like that. And what they do is they take first order, top of the top tier, top of the pyramid doctrines. And they just kind of trample on them and go, oh, just I remember this. Really like a, a, a classic example would be, you know, Rob Bell's slow journey into apostasy over like a 10 year period and it was so sad to watch wasn't it <laughs> it was awful and like yeah I remember years ago like reading some of his books and watching everything is spiritual the lecture and actually really enjoying it and um, then just watching him just kind of one by one deny first order doctrines yeah. and, but then still having people wanting to call him a Christian and that and, and this is the reason why we have to have this discussion because we we need to yeah we we need to sort of determine when a movement a person a church has crossed the line over into apostasy where 
to have union with them actually wouldn't honor christ christ doesn't honor union with apostate churches no. or apostate individuals right that that's not a kind of unity we, we want to be loving towards them we want to still preach the gospel to them winsomely um but we don't want to be having any kind of christian fellowship with them worshiping with them breaking bread because that's not the kind of union that we're commanded to have as christians so no and also just to pick up on that with the um we see in acts chapter 2 right at the beginning of the the, the church really coming into being and the day of pentecost and right at the end of acts chapter 2 it describes the new christian converts being devoted to the apostles teaching and to fellowship yeah and so the fellowship was because of the teaching the doctrine uh, that they believed and were committed to so this mm. fellowship came from a unity of what and who they believed in and when you have a church movement where it wants to promote unity over doctrine, what it actually does is it, it destroys fellowship because it's no longer true biblical Christianity that you're devoting yourself to. Yeah. You're, you're kind of saying, well, actually, we're good friends. So we're really, this is a friendship. And I'm not saying that friendships aren't really valuable and important. But once you start promoting friendship over doctrine, you know, would it be really harsh to say that that's kind of a form of idolatry? Yeah, because yeah. you're kind of saying, well, actually, I'd rather I'm not. I don't really care what I believe anymore, as long as I, I'm friends with these people. And then all of a sudden, you've got a real mess that you've <laughs> you've really kind of just abandoned the truth. And actually, yeah. our fellowship, the the doctrine needs to come first. What we believe and hold to, and we fellowship underneath that. Not you know that we're friends and you know we don't really care what really what we believe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a, a discussion um, next time around. I think on on, on that subject more on ecumenism um uh, ecumenism is that how you say it uh, ecumenicalism thank you ecumenicalism tough word to say. that would be an ecumenical matter that's uh, the one yeah <laughs> for father ted fans out you there you'll recognize that one yeah <laughs> um yeah so you know obviously classically liberals would want to relegate first order doctrines or at least first order doctrines as we and most other christians we see them they want to relegate those and say those are not important you know why no. do we need to rank doctrines like you know we all believe in jesus don't we you know the question being well which jesus but you know we all believe in jesus yes. let's all get along whereas you kind of more kind of hardline fundamentalist would say everything is a is a rank one doctrine you know so our particular view of the end times is a first order doctrine and unless you believe exactly as we do uh, then we can't we can't have fellowship no. we don't want to be on either of end of those scales really um so i did see as well that was it i think it was al Mulder in his article about theological triage he ranks the inspiration of scripture as a first order doctrine i yeah. i would be inclined to agree with him now i know that perhaps gavin ortland wouldn't agree with yeah. al Mulder on that point um I guess you know we're we're allowing one another we're giving grace to people to kind of decide to a certain degree what what goes in the first category and what goes in the second category what goes in the third I think there should be an overall agreement on things like the trinity incarnation christology you know um justification by faith uh, these things should should all we should all be put in 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 first order but in terms of inspiration of scripture what what are your thoughts on that 
I, I, I would be honest, I would agree with Al Mohler on that. I would put that in the first order. That yeah. scripture is inspired, inerrant and infallible. Um, once you kind of start kind of taking a, I suppose, a, an enlightened view of scripture and, well, actually we can interpret it whichever way we fancy. And um, I think it's a dangerous, slippery slope. I, I certainly don't say that in a way that I'm kind of wanting to... I suppose be hard line but I just don't feel comfortable with the idea that to, that you can believe because the, the, the scripture isn't isn't inspired when the apostle Paul says all scripture is God breathed yeah. right? and that's in scripture so I'd say well the Bible says that and yeah. this is where like I love the fact that the Lord Jesus says to the to the devil in the wilderness it is written in fact Jesus does in the wilderness what Adam and Eve didn't do in the garden. When Satan comes along and kind of says, did God really say it? And, and what we end up hearing is people saying, yeah, but does the Bible really say? Does it really mean <laughs> yeah. that? It, they ask and, the same questions that devil asked. Yeah, yeah where have we Never heard that play. before? And it, it, comes, it comes from the same source. That's the truth of it. It comes from the same source. And so to actually be able to say well actually it is written that's what Jesus says it is written yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what the, and yeah. he's showing us how to how to uh, reject the devil and, and, and he'll flee and when we say yeah but the Bible says yeah and I think this is the key thing that I want to hold on to as a Christian I'm just going to say in this confused world where everybody we, I mean have we ever been more confused right now as society it's hard to say it's hard to say that no we haven't is it we, we do seem to be in a real mess you know i was talking to somebody just the other day a friend and we we love to sort of chew over these issues we don't see things eye to eye um but you know this 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 kind of conversation came up and we, we were talking about um you know we were talking about being a christian and what the job of a pastor should be yeah and, and this this friend of mine sort of said well you know um we want to present we want to be presenting to pastors should be presenting to their church various different views of jesus and various different views of salvation and various so presenting different views and allowing people to make sense of those for themselves um and one of those being that scripture you know um do we do we really believe that that's the rule of faith for us yeah. or or let's you know let's present the idea that actually it is just a collection of sort of ancient documents written by people who were doing their best to understand god yeah. um so i i sort of said to them well what what should we be preaching then and they said well jesus and i said okay well where is there where where are we finding this information about Jesus from that we preach? Well, you know, uh, from the Bible, yes, <laughs> from the yeah, Bible. But where, where exactly, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, I said, well, what, you know, if the Bible can't be relied upon, then how can we rely on our own intuitions about who Jesus is? Oh well, you know, we know him through personal relationship okay but how can we rely so you can see how unless we have a really solid view that the scriptures are the inspired word of god that they are infallible i would go as far as to say inerrant i know there are different views on that but unless we are convinced that this is infallible concrete revelation from god about himself about his son about who we are then we've got nothing 
yeah. I, I would li- I would put it that strongly. We've got nothing that we can stand in front of people and confidently preach as truth, you know. And so, I believe in revelational epistemology. I believe that scripture has to be a first order discussion. You know, is scripture inspired? Uh, we can't find ourselves having a lower view of scripture than Jesus did. Yeah, we've talked yeah. about this before. You know, Jesus consistently showed that he believed that scripture was authoritative that it was considered to him the word of god you know like you said it is is it not written is it not written like i think that that's absolutely crucial and and under that sort of heading of how we see scripture and that being a first order discussion it also kind of highlights a lot of issues we're seeing today so for example the debate surrounding sexuality, human sexuality, um, gender, all these sorts yeah. of things. Now, if you don't believe that the scriptures are the inspired, infallible word of God, then you can come to a different view than the historic church, can't you? Yeah. Because you can it's just you completely. can say, well yeah you know it, it does yeah it does say that it does say that in the bible but we're talking about books that were written in the bronze age right so why in the 21st century should we be listening to those you know we know better so you can see how immediately as soon as we unhitch from that doctrine of the inspiration of scripture we can get into all sorts of clinches and strange doctrines that become popular um and they may be absolutely heretical <laughs> you know yeah so i would say is a big case for the inspiration of scripture being a, a first order doctrine rather than the second the more you look into it the more you realize that is the case and i think going back to what your friend was saying about well you know how do we know jesus i'm like well have you read through the gospels and have you seen how much jesus had to say yeah yeah. And it, uh, have you not like you only have to read I mean seriously you only have to read Matthew 5 to 7 the Sermon on the Mount uh, yeah. I don't know about you but that makes me feel pretty bruised afterwards and think you know this is powerful stuff yeah and and Christ has a lot to say and the, the, the reality the reality is that we, we can know him and, and he's, he says though if you love me you will obey my commands that there's there'll mm. be a response mm. to what I'm doing and and, and, when, and the great commission at the end of Matthew it's like and teaching them all I have commanded you yeah. So it, it, there is actually a, a very much a covenant of the word there in following Christ, doing as he says, doing what, what he's called us to do. Absolutely. And I think putting the inspiration of scripture in there as a first order doctrine, for me, is a real fail safe because you yeah. often find that sadly, those who we've seen you know, fall away, apostatize. One of the very first doctrines that they deny is the inspiration of scripture. It always yeah. seems to be the first one <laughs> that gets that chucked, is, chucked out. I've seen this happen time and time again, sadly, um, and it's so painful. But the inspiration of scripture, its authority over our lives as Christians, like that's the first one to go out the window. And th- th- essentially, that's what this guy was saying. He was basically saying, yeah, I know Jesus is in the Bible and he is the word of God, but the Bible is not the word of God. The Bible is not. He would say it contains the word of God as in it writes about Jesus. But, you know, taking a view that's similar to those 
those of the higher critics, you know, and the kind of liberal theologians from Germany in the 19th century, which, which would say, yeah, you know, Jesus is the word of God, but the scriptures are not the word of God. They are fallible and yeah. they, they contain information about Christ, uh, but some of it's fallible, some of it's wrong, some of it's errant. And then the problem becomes well which parts of scripture do you trust if scripture is not infallible if scripture is not the inspired word of god uh, but it contains the word of god how do you determine which bits are correct and which bits are errant can we really truthfully say uh, with confidence that god is love what if that's an error what if that yeah. book actually isn't canonical um you, we end up in all sorts and it just always interests me that the people who say this stuff are those people who will stand up confidently and say that god is a god of love and we shouldn't put him in a box but he's definitely a god of love and you can say well how do you know that yeah all from scripture oh but i thought you said that that was fallible and could be an error yes yes but well could it be an error about that uh, 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 you know it, it they're always confident on the good bits right they're always confident that god loves them and and uh, you know which is true but it's just interesting that the bits that they want to dispute are always the bits about sin and judgment and <laughs> the, yeah, the, the kind of muckier bits right um but uh yeah anyway that's that's a slightly different discussion um were you going to say something mate before i, I, I got on my soapbox again no, that's fine. That's, I carry on. I mean, we're gonna. We, I was just thinking we probably need to think about the the, the next sort of second and third. Well, yeah. So tier and- this this is an interesting one. So like obviously we've, we've defined a little bit about first order doctrines. Now, um, what about second order doctrines? What what are we looking at in there? What what have we got? Well, really, I, I always find it helpful to think of second order as, as being. These are things that Christians disagree on, but go to different churches because of. So, right, okay. like, for yeah. example, things like um, infant and adult baptism, yeah, or the roles of women in ministry, mm-hmm. or the charismatic gifts, or the sovereignty of God in salvation. So, kind yeah. of Calvinist, Arminian. So, yeah, they're these sort of the in-house differences and, and i know people say to me oh why are there so many church denominations you think that's a very good question actually why are they well actually this is why because these uh, are these are the these are the kind of doctrines that chris you can still be a christian but actually it, it is it, it is important it does matter and you know there are there are issues there that people are having to work out by going to different churches and and that is the reality of it in fact i mean if you think about it someone who who doesn't believe in the gifts of the spirit for example they're not going to go to a pentecostal church are they I mean, yeah if they're cessationist they're not going to go to a pentecostal church obviously or someone who's a complementarian they're not going to go to a a church where it's got a woman pastor for example or you know i mean when i was a young boy i remember i was about i don't know about four or five i can't remember i was really young and my parents actually left their baptist church because you know, the, apart from the fact that it was Arminian. It was actually very quite frothy teaching, and they wanted to find a church that was Calvinist and had strong biblical teaching. And they went there, and they've been there ever since. So, go, you know, they weren't being fickle. They genuinely re- recognised the value in a good Bible teaching church, which the church where they were at the time they felt that it wasn't. So, yeah, these are things that, you know, they whether we like it or not, they do determine who we fellowship with it's not to say that you know we're not brothers and sisters in christ okay so these but are like they are going to, yeah they're going to determine where we go to church so these are important yeah they are important but they're in-house debates is that what we're saying absolutely right yeah, yeah they're in-house debates yeah so you know the whole the whole thing of like you know i believe in the gifts of spirit today um but i can still call somebody who's a cessationist a brother 
Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, you know, it, it's it's one of the. I I feel I I feel yeah. This is a really good one because I think so many people get this area wrong. Um, yeah, and, this is and this is where the division is, and this is where it's yeah. so heartbreaking. Actually, it's, it's, where it's so, so heartbreaking. heartbreaking. That's where the division really happens, and it's where you yeah just want to see a love and a and a kind of a compassion, a concession to one another. Say, well, you know what that's your conviction and i respect that and like church splits in two-tier doctrines do happen right Absolutely. they do happen but it's lamentable when they do i think it's kind of sad you know in some ways these but you can understand why you know yeah. like it's it's kind of like um yeah like baptism the difference between presbyterians and baptists like brothers and sisters in christ but very strongly held convictions on their view of baptism um uh, and so another one obviously sovereignty of god and salvation like calvinistic arminian views of salvation um uh, you know for me i personally having experienced um a lot of a lot of kind of uh, ire from people on the arminian side of this in my ministry time um sadly uh, who would say that you know all sorts of things about and i know it goes two ways which yeah, is so sad you know like obviously uh, you know for me personally the rumor went round that i had i had left my previous church because i was a calvinist and it was absolutely not true absolutely not true the whole thing no. was so sad um in fact it was more like they decided that they wanted to make that the reason you know um which again is sad and yes they are more arminian but for me that would never have been a reason for me to separate from them um no and it shouldn't be that's my strongly held conviction i think differences like these if we can find unity we should find unity um if, if we're you know certainly in terms of our fellowshipping yeah. with one another maybe it means we we go to a different church eventually i understand that um but these shouldn't be things where we're saying you're preaching a false gospel you know which was what was said about me um and i think that is ultimately wrong because I, I like we've talked before you know there are people on the other side of this debate in terms of the sovereignty of god of salvation you know people like tozer people like Ravenhill, uh, Wilkerson, like yeah, people, giants of the faith. You we know, love, we love John Wesley, and you yeah, know, John Wesley, yeah, uh, who we love, you know. And then on the Calvinistic side, we've got brothers who the Arminian lot love. We've got Spurgeon, you know. We've got Whitfield, um, Lloyd Jones, Lloyd Jones. We've got giants of the faith, and so. You know, it's so sad when we see in this day and age, and we see it from the Calvinist side too, you know, people getting othered. You know, like, I know people that won't listen to to Mike Winger, you know, because he's a provisionist, right? Yeah. Um, for me, I think he's a fantastic Bible teacher. Yeah, I don't yeah. agree with him on his particular view of that, but I get so much from his teaching. And so... Yeah, I think we, we in these tier two issues, would you say it's kind of we're trying to, yes, we understand it might mean we go to a different church, but this is in-house. Um, we understand that these these particular doctrines, it's possible 
to have a slightly different view on. Maybe these doctrines are well attested in Scripture, but they're slightly less perspicuous. You know, they're slightly less clear, and so it's possible to hold a different view. Would you say yeah, that's that's fair? I, I mean, I, I always used to feel, particularly, um, particularly when I was a bit younger, and you kind of went to different churches and you saw just some really lots of lovely godly people just in different places you kind of yeah. thought there's so much that we could actually learn from one another oh yeah by being in fellowship like i mean for me like there are times where i think i, I would love to have like just a service where you got the pentecostals praying and worshiping yeah and just seeing how they pray it's oh like, come on just we want that pest, pentecostal power that 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 just hunger for god but yeah. at the same time having that having the sort of like the um the strong biblical preaching that that really lifts up Christ and and Amen. the glory of Christ and 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 the, and just having a church that is full of people that and I, I would love to see opportunities where different denominations in this kind of second tier would would be able to gather together and worship together I think this is yeah whilst we may not week by week attend the same churches and I think this is something that to his credit. Um, uh, Charlie Cleverly, when he was rector of St Aldates, was really trying to do with the, the mm. Love Oxford, if you Love may Oxford. remember. Yeah, I remember. Well, that, I think there was a heart behind that big time to get lots of different people to worship to get God together and, and for that unity to be seen in a whole city. And so, yeah. absolutely, I think this is more than just we agree to disagree. We actually want to find that the, that which unites us is so much greater than that which divides us. And we absolutely Hallelujah. hold to those first order doctrines. We believe the gospel. And as a result, we love one another yeah. and we want that unity to be seen amongst Christians, brothers and sisters. And this is why I think the unity really is much, is greatly needed is in this second tier. Mm. It's not to say that we, we, we sort of, you know, make light of the differences. Yes, there are differences that, that are legitimate, I would argue, in, in most cases, but that's not to say that they're insurmountable and that we are not, you know, we should not be trying to find that ground for unity. Amen. Amen. Now, let's just, let's just finish up here because there is another category, which is third order. So, um, these things in the third order category would they be kind of things that maybe they're not super clear in scripture but we might Uh, have a deeply held conviction on it or things that maybe there have been lots of different positions on what what kinds of things would go in this kind of third category well just give it just give a couple um i mean the first is is the the logical one is is eschatology that's the obvious one right and you know as we've already said we we agree and affirm that the lord jesus will return bodily uh and victoriously but we may disagree on the timing and the events of his return so yeah you know, some will say, for example, and you probably hear this, it's kind of almost helpful to sort of hear it from, because you, you hear all kinds of different people saying different things. And some will argue the church will be raptured at the start of a seven year tribulation. Yeah. And then after that seven years, Christ will return and reign on earth for a thousand years. So like um, a key proponent of that would be like John MacArthur kind of thing. Yeah, John MacArthur, yeah. Would be, uh, Chuck Misler, Chuck you know, Misler, people like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, good, solid, you know, Christian Bible Absolutely. teachers, yeah. you know, but they would hold to this uh, pre, you know, sort of dispensationalism. Yeah. Uh, the likes of, you know the likes of Spurgeon or kind of Keith Malcolmson would say well actually ditch the sort of tribulation and dispensationalism and we yeah. just talk about the uh, you know classic premillennialism yeah um, so there's that and then you've got others that would uh, that would say no 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 that there's no rapture 
yeah. and we've been in the tribulation for the last 2000 years look at all the look at all the persecution that's going on mm. in the world I mean just particularly in the Far East and in parts of Africa and whatever and, and there's no actual thousand year reign of Christ on earth before the final judgment um, and then there'll be others that will say oh no there's, there's a thousand year reign that will happen in this age and at the end of it we're going to see a glorious revival mm. of the world before Christ returns and, and at the end of the day these are all just you know you can interpret the Bible when it comes to eschatology quite a number of different ways that is the truth of it that's why we've got you know there are even some people who are known as preterists who believe that, Preterist, that yes. everything everything that happened in Revelation actually happened up to AD 70 yeah. so they think was actually happened so all kinds of different views on eschatology and yet these things should never determine who we fellowship with. This is this is like we're all in the same church and we're drinking too much coffee and we're talking about <laughs> this for ages. It's, do you know what I mean? It's just like ridiculous stuff. Like this is actually, this stuff's important. I absolutely, as you do, I love eschatology. I think it's so important. Yeah. And I really felt during the pandemic convicted to actually really read into it and understand it. Well, like it we've, and, we've both shifted, haven't we? You, you've yeah, begun to shift it. So like we've discussed this, guys. Like we've really, Gareth has been egging me on to study eschatology because I've been, I've been, <laughs> tiptoeing around it for ages and and so this is something that we've loved discussing and we've loved kind of challenging each other Definitely. on um but it, it, it's kind of over the coffee table chat rather it than really is. something that yeah. we're going to be disfellowshipping one another over is that kind of the, the vibe with that's these, absolutely right yeah. i mean at the end of the day the fact is that we are we have got we've got christ's return that we look forward to that day mm. looking for that blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great god and savior jesus christ and we're all looking forward to that day regardless of when we think it's going to happen so yeah the, there's the eschatology which to be honest i kind of think it's enjoyable to talk about but then there's other, another one that i would suggest would be the salvation of Israel. So you've got, yeah. I mean, kind of different views. I mean, two of which would be replacement theology, which is that the the church has replaced Israel as the as God's people. I personally wouldn't hold to that, and I would point to Romans nine as being the key sort of text for that. But then you've got remnant theology, which is what I'd hold to, which is that there actually is going to be a remnant of of Jews that God will Christ will save before He comes back. Uh, but there are some saying, no, 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 we are Israel now. The church is Israel. And others mm -hmm. like me would say, actually, no, that Israel still Israel and God will save a remnant mm. through Christ out of Israel. But I think this is, these are really, these are what, these are like tertiary issues yeah. that should never divide Christians. And actually, these are debates that I would argue are good to have in the same way that iron sharpens iron, that, that these are the good, these are, the, these are good grounds for actually building up our faith. If, if, you, if someone's amillennial and I'm premillennial, we can actually really enjoy talking about it and debating it in a way that, have you thought of it like this? Actually, no, but we're all very much on the same side. Christ is coming back, but yeah. we just don't know when or how. Yeah, so I, I would I would absolutely agree with everything you said there. I do have a couple of questions before we finish, just to kind of mull over. Um, there are sort of just as in the f sort of second century and third century, there were particular doctrines that got attacked, you know, by Arius, and then yeah. you know the kind of third and fourth um, by what became Pelagianism, um, uh, you know, and, and then you see these kind of strong defences of biblical doctrine coming out of times where they were attacked. Now, those kind of doctrines, yet yeah, they're, they're being attacked still, but perhaps not as strongly as Christian doctrine or teaching on human sexuality. So, for example, the, the bill in Canada that came out that said you, you're actually not allowed to preach um, a what we would call a traditional 
biblical sexuality in church anymore that's actually hate speech now right yeah so where does that fall because what what do we say to people that might be able to affirm trinity they they would affirm uh same christology as us but they would say no um you can absolutely have a man and a man be married uh, you can have a woman and a woman be married actually you could have two men and one woman get married well what do we do with that because they, they might affirm some of those top order doctrines so what do we do <laughs> oh, it's a brilliant question i mean it's a really difficult one I, i'll be honest with you the the, the, the straight answer to it is I believe the Bible is very clear mm. about what I would God's say plan so. for sexuality is. And I think this is, I mean, I know we haven't got loads of time to go into it, but very, very no. briefly, and I'm not going to answer this very well, but very, very briefly, the fact that God, cre in, God created the male and female in the image of God, he created the male and female. Yeah. There is, there is something of the divine nature that he's put into humanity. We have the Imago Dei and he's made us male and female. And that sexual union is only ever for marriage between a man and a woman. Mm. It's, it's actually that the sexual relationship is, is a, a, a real key part of the mingling of souls. That the, the, what it is to be, to be married and to be partnered with another person for life. And it's between a man and a woman. So I, I wouldn't just say that... that homosexual acts are wrong which I believe they are but also heterosexual acts which are outside of the covenant of marriage yeah. I think this often gets missed out people say same sex marriage is wrong absolutely I believe it is because it's only meant to be between a man and a woman but at the same time let's not let uh, you know heterosexual couples who are practicing sexual unions outside of the covenant of marriage off because that is also uh, wrong and the Bible clearly says that no immoral or homosexual will inherit the kingdom of God which means yeah. this is a first order sin because and the thing is it's, it's not the unforgivable sin because if we come no. to God and we ask for forgiveness Absolutely. and we repent and we live differently we are forgiven but this, I think the key thing is it's not about being judgmental and saying who's who's you know wrong and who's done and who's done what it's living in unrepentant sin is to continue walking away from christ throughout your life yeah i think that is and a key issue and this is so i'd explain like it's kind of a bit more nuanced but the reason why i'd say it's a first order issue is it's when people try to redefine it and say it's not a sin that's the thing because we're not talking about somebody who's become a christian who is dealing with that sin of homosexuality. That's not really what I'm, I'm meaning. It, um, because as you say, we know from Corinthians, uh, Paul says, you know, he lists homosexuality as one of the sins and says, yeah. such were some of you. So these people yeah. in Corinth, some of them were practicing homosexuals um, and they've become Christians, but they're not practicing that anymore. That's the inference we can draw. And as you said, I agree, you know, heterosexual sex outside marriage is a horrendous sin so we shouldn't be leaving that out but it doesn't get called an abomination no now same sex well homosexual sex gets called an abomination in the holiness code leviticus 18 it Le does leviticus 20 that can't be missed out toho bovu right it, it, not toho bovu sorry it's that's that's genesis but it gets called that word an abomination so this is very serious and i think the key issue is that um, we're talking about really we're talking about church leaders who would preach that that form of sexuality is not sin and actually yeah. encourage believers to go out and to do that or to uh, that that's okay i think for me would be a first order issue uh, that that yeah it would be irreconcilable with what christianity is because you're you're redefining sin which is something that only 
God has the has the power to do. I mean, that's um, the text. I mean, like just. To, I mean, I, I could pick a few texts, but in the interest of time, one main yeah. one is is from. Romans 1 where it actually yeah. talks about they turned away from God so much that in the passive wrath of God he turned them over to their sinful desires uh, women desiring women and men being inflamed for men this was like this is a picture of, of of being so depraved that, that your sin actually led you to be sexually attracted to someone of the same that's right same yeah. sex and and then in, in Jude 7 this is the one which I mean, it's, it's tough and a lot of people struggle with this, but it does say in Jude 7, it talks about how God deals with Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Because of their, because of their homosexuality. Yeah. And, and, the, and, this, and you read the story in Genesis of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not like, you, it's clear, it's there, you can see it. Yeah. And we, could, and we, I, we can defend this more properly in another yeah. session, absolutely. In another, another podcast. Um, it's a, a topic for another day, probably. But um, finally, the other, the other issue for me... Um, perhaps slightly harder to kind of figure out would be would be things like the prosperity gospel right because this this is something whereby many of the people the proponents that teach prosperity gospel would agree with the nicene creed agree with the apostles creed agree with you on the inspiration of scripture um you know we, we so we could then have we have unity with these people but um the prosperity gospel is a false teaching so what, uh, like I think this is probably for me I don't know about you but this would be an area where it's, ca- it's kind of case by case you know yeah. like what's actually being taught here um, yeah so I don't know what you think about that like where, how do we how do we kind of consider that is it you know is that first order or is that more of like a second order where we just probably wouldn't go to the same church but we're, we're brothers you know yeah, that's a, that's a brilliant question, which I'll try and answer very quickly. And, and uh, you know, the, the thing that comes to mind immediately is what is, what is being taught in church? The question is, is what is being taught in church bringing you closer to Christ or further away from him? Mm. So if a second, you know, the sort of second order things, you know, we, that the gospel still being taught. It's yes. just there's some different things that that's we true. might not agree with first order things are this is the actual heart of the gospel and if if you're teaching a gospel that then you know that basically the apostle paul says in galatians any other gospel let them be accursed and he says it twice mm-hmm. okay that's to do with legalism and in in galatia at that time but if you're teaching a a gospel that actually leads you towards idolatry and material things rather than to to christ yeah i would say again I would put that in first order, yeah. In the in the sense that this is this is not actually the gospel, yeah. And and as as, as and I've already mentioned American Gospel, which that's a good film to watch to kind of really yeah. see where it's so insidious. But I would say absolutely, if it was down to me, I would say one hundred percent, it's uh, prosperity gospel is a first order because it does not uh, elevate Christ as Savior and Lord. Instead, it elevates you know a kind of man's needs and wants, and God is this kind of genie in a lamp who turns up and and he just gives you all your desires because you're so amazing. Yeah. I would agree with you. Uh, I would agree with you. I would add a caveat, which would just be that the prosperity gospel, the, the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, as it's known, it's quite nebulous. Um, so you'll find like 
one preacher f- preaching like a fulsome prosperity gospel <laughs> whereas yeah. you know like the you know the atoning work of, of of christ on the cross never gets mentioned it's just all about the blessings and the money right so you'll get people like that that are absolutely and claim it. wolves in sheep's clothing <laughs> yeah mark and avoid red flag you Creplo know dollar dancing yeah, all, exactly. over his, all over his banknotes but it's quite nebulous which basically means that you'll get other pastors who kind of preach a bit of prosperity but they still offer a gospel presentation now for me i think that's why we have to do this case by case and not be too hasty to just tar somebody with the the heretic brush uh, because they you know they 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 said something that sounded prosperity gospely um so we have to be careful in that area i think because prosperity gospel is a first order issue um that's why like I think we we have to say that teachers like Creflo Dollar, uh, Kenneth Copeland, definitely fall in that category. Um, However, there are shades of prosperity gospel, um, and we have to be careful not to get overzealous, I think, with calling people you know, a false teacher. Um, Just to add to that, I think that sometimes when you've got preachers in large churches are trying to you know do a kind of talk on giving or something yeah and they might talk preach from malachi and they might say like well god will open the storehouses yes yes that's a tricky one to kind of yes. like you know to to get right to hit right and yeah. there is an element where they might lean somewhere that feels a bit prosperity but actually what they're trying to say is well, actually god god delights in in you yeah. giving cheerfully to him and he will look after your needs that's so it. that's not that's but they might perhaps they might you know say it a bit badly or something and then you think oh golly that was a prosperity message but actually yeah. their, their heart yeah. was in the right place they didn't mean it that way yeah we can we can slip up we can sometimes you know pastors can you know sort of dabble but still be yeah, yeah. still be solid um and then i think there are these kind of inveterate you know you know sort of like journeymen in the prosperity gospel where there's not a clear presentation of the gospel and there is this idolatry of of money and and a sort of um things cars houses uh, a boasting unwholesome stuff that we we must then say this, this is a first order issue so yeah i think it kind of that's how i feel anyway but i think yeah you know there might be others that, that see that differently um but you know we're here to say what we think aren't we so there you yeah, go yeah <laughs> and i think more than anything this podcast really before you know before anyone maybe perhaps doesn't quite get the heart of what where we're coming from here is we want to help you to listen to this and think about when you've got a question and think actually where would i put this yeah. and and actually in your own mind as you try to work through well actually i don't know about this particular doctrine or teaching and, and just to give you a framework to see this is how this is why triage is is useful and helpful and i think very really important good. really good and just for you to use as a tool in your own spiritual walk with god and mm. to you know to deal with maybe some difficult questions you might have in in your current church or ministry context absolutely absolutely well thanks gareth that's been really good it's been such a helpful discussion and um you got a couple of books that you're reading through on that that i'm sure yeah you mentioned those already just share those again so one of them was gavin ortland finding the right hills to die on and that's the case for theological triage that's a smaller book but there's a bigger book which is useful for a bit more deeper reading and reference it's called when doctrine divides the people of god an evangelical approach to theological diversity and that's by reen r putman both of these are on crossway publishing and i think they're and we can put those in the link can't we so people can definitely and if you if you want to um 
if you want to start building your library it's well worth giving gareth a follow um at uh, it's at bible books theology is that right one yeah at Bible Books Theology that's on Instagram Um, go follow him there he's always recommending books that are just fire really good stuff Um, you can uh, follow this podcast as well we're on Instagram which is at Hammer and Tulip so get on there give us a follow get in touch and um, yeah always appreciate when you guys give us ratings and nice positive comments on our (laughs) iTunes podcast because it gets us more (laughs) listeners we really appreciate that so if you enjoyed what you've heard today if you've enjoyed some of the other episodes please do give us a rating and a little comment on itunes podcast um and we, we just love hearing from you we know the last episode um got really positive feedback the one about the orphan heart and uh we appreciate that so yes until next time we will bid you adieu god bless bye-bye god bless bye-bye